So I know that there are lots of schools of thought around how versatile you need to be as a food photographer. And being versatile, honestly, does not mean that you have to know every single, you know, technical style of photography. But what it means is that, you know, within your given skill set, are you able to cover the entire spectrum? Are you able to create photos for a range of moods, a range of colors, range of patterns, range of foods, range of light? This is your host, Dyutama, but you can call me DJ. (laughs) And I love to inspire food photographers to dream. I spent 15 years as an architect studying buildings and constructing hospitals before taking the biggest leap of faith of my life, which was setting up a food styling and food photography business right from scratch. If you're a dreamer like me, wanting to start a new photography business, or grow your existing food photography business, jump right into a world where I share practical, actionable strategies to improve your photography skills, to work with clients, make more money, or with a fearless mindset. This is the My Food Lens Podcast, and we take you one step closer to your dreams. So let's go. Hola! Today I'm bringing to you a special episode. It's a bit saucy, a little peppery, a bit exciting. (laughs) I'm bringing to you an episode in which I was a guest on someone else's podcast. I was a guest on Kimberly Espinel's podcast called Eat, Capture, Share. So Kimberly is a food photographer based in London. I'm sure many of you are familiar with her work. And my chat with her was just so power-packed, so powerful that I just had to, had to, had to share it with you. So in this episode, I talk about so many things, so many things. Okay, so just stay with me as I tell you everything I talk about. So I talk about what it takes to run a successful creative business and everything that goes into it. So we speak on a variety of food photography and business related topics, like including like, you know, how I was able to leave a corporate career to start my business in food photography what it takes to bring client work to your business. How do you keep those clients? And how do you stand out? How do you stand out as a photographer in the market? How do you write pitches? And how do not depend on social media alone to find food photography work? And also the key to delivering a memorable client experience, which we all know is absolutely key to running a profitable business. So This episode, my dear friend, is packed with so much info. It's like boom, boom, boom. You know, so much info. Whether you're starting a business, you're thinking of starting a business or in the thick of it, hopefully it will leave you with a ton of takeaways that you can immediately put into practice. I think that's important. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right in. I always start the podcast with introductions because there may be people tuning in who don't know you, who've not come across your Instagram and your work. So please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Dyutama and I'm an architect turned food photography entrepreneur based in Singapore. I'm a food stylist. I'm an editorial and commercial food photographer. I'm also an educator and I host a food photography and business podcast called My Food Lens. 
I also have a two and a half year old daughter. I'm a pooch mom, and I take my wine very seriously. <laughs> oh, that's so fun! Oh, awesome! And where are you based? I'm based in Singapore. Amazing. Now that's a place I have never been, but I would love to go to. In fact, I think the podcast episode just before you, CRs, he's also based in Singapore. Oh, it yes. Always, it always looks so, just so beautiful. <laughs> it is. It's a food paradise, just mm. like London. Yeah. 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 Just you have sun and we don't. <laughs> Anyways, I'd love to know how you made the switch from architecture to food photography. Please talk us through your your journey. Mm, I honestly, I just love it when somebody asks me this question. You know how you jump off from a cliff and then you make it, but then you look up and then you realize what you just did. That's pretty much sums my journey to food photography. So my journey, Kimberly, has really been all about taking risks, making like huge leaps of faith and, you know, just moving forward with that conviction that it's going to work out. So I was an architect. So between studying and practicing architecture, uh, I was in architecture for 15 years and my specialty was healthcare. So I was designing hospitals. I designed hospitals in many cities around the world including Singapore, which is where I designed two large hospitals. And I was taking a break from architecture and I was doing everything I love and cooking was definitely on top of my list. My sister told me about Instagram. So I just started taking bad photos of my cooking, posting them on Instagram. And one day somebody wanted to hire me and they wanted me to take photos of their food for their brand. And I was like, whoa, wait, one minute. <laughs> like I never thought of that. It was, it just, it came like a possibility that had never crossed my mind. And one thing that I need to mention is that when I was in the corporate world, there were many times that I'd contemplated having something of my own, but you know how healthcare projects, they're huge and there's like big teams involved, big bucks involved. So an independent consultant, a solo person, I, I wouldn't have made it. And so I've, I toggled with that idea many times and I just let it go. So when this person came up with, you know, oh, can you take photos of my food? Just something just struck me. And I was like, is this something I need to think about? This could be something real. Like there was a feeling in my gut. And I was like, I just need to do this. It was so different from what I had done before, a completely new path. And so I just decided to start a food photography business at that time. That one <laughs> message changed everything for me. But what I, what I do want to mention is that at this time, there were two very important things that were going on. One, I had never used a DSLR in my life. I had never taken a photo on manual mode. Yeah, just click the auto mode, go for it. So I had no idea of using a DSLR. I had, however, a ton of experience with composition, scale, proportion, colors, balance, harmony, because that was my architectural background. And this was a, this was a piece of the puzzle that fit very naturally for me, very intuitively for me. But when it came to technicality, the, the technique of taking a photo Tata wasn't quite there. The other thing that was very important that was going on at that time was I was at a very important threshold of my life. I had many architecture job offers on the table. So I had a six-figure salary. I was making a six-figure salary in architecture. And if I would have taken up those offers, I could have made way 
more. So I was at a very difficult juncture where I could either go to making so much more and continuing on my architecture path, or I could just start from zero. And you know what I did. So I just chartered into unknown territory. And I like to say this, it's it's not my original, but it's Jasmine Star's original. You would know this. So when I chartered into unknown territory, I was uneducated, unqualified, and unfunded. So I had no education about photography. I was unqualified about business. I had no experience. And I was unfunded because I had not planned or saved for it. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's where I was. And yet I had gone ahead and just declared I'm going to start a food photography business. So I put myself on a timer. I literally gave myself four months. I told all my, please let me come back to you in four months. And in those four months, the first thing I did was I signed up for a two-hour workshop where I went and just learned the interface of my camera. I had a rusty old 10-year-old camera. I went, I learned manual mode, and then I just started practicing. The other thing was that I was very clear that I wanted to get into commercial food photography. That means I had to shoot for restaurants, which means that I had to know artificial light because Singapore weather is such, it either rains or there's too much sun. So in those four months, like at the end of those four months, I was not just okay with, you know, uh, comfortable using a camera on manual mode. I'd also learned how to use artificial light, not a pro, but I knew how to assemble, a, you know, the gear. I knew how I could do it for a client. So at the end of those four months, I just went ahead and registered my business in Singapore. And I went ahead and I told all those clients, thank you so much for considering me, but I have chosen a different path. And starting from there, I started working like my tail was on fire and I feel so grateful about it. But in the next three months, I had my first two clients and one of them was the largest retailer in Singapore. So that just gave me so much encouragement. It just, it was a great start to my journey. And I think I have just carried on with that mindset of take risks, make huge leaps of faith, fall off the cliff and just have the conviction, you know, that it will work out. So, so thank you for asking that. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I think, I don't know if you were in a similar position. I think for me, what made things easier, and I think it is important to mention is, you know, I had a partner. Um, so if, if for whatever reason, the business didn't go well, you know, I had that to fall back on and I had savings. So I wonder, is that something you had as well, savings and a partner that, you know, if all went pear-shaped, that that was your safety net? No, I think that's such a great point that you bring up. I wouldn't say that I had like a ton of savings, but yes, at that time, my circumstances did allow me to jump off the cliff. Mm. I had a supportive partner who was nice. doing fairly well and I did not have children at that time. So my commitments were a lot limited. However, I did have a child when I was in the first two years of my business. Yes. That was very tough. <laughs> yes. So but when when did you start your business? Like how many years ago is that now? So technically it is, this is my fourth year, but in between okay. I had a baby. Yeah, <laughs> so, gotcha. so you, know, you took a little bit of time off. and I uh, took a bit of time off and it, yeah. it went a bit up and down, but yeah, this is my fourth year going. Amazing. Now you mentioned something that I'd love to delve a little bit deeper into. And you said that one of your very first clients was a very big supermarket, a, a big retailer. And I know that there's so many people tuning in who are like, I'd love to shoot for 
you know, an established client, uh, a client who really knows what they want and, uh, you know, a big brand, a big name. So I'd love to know why you think they chose you, what you feel that you brought to the table that made you stand out and what anybody tuning in who's maybe still struggling to find clients, what they could or should focus on to um, attract the type of clients that you've attracted? So I think definitely the starting point has to be your good quality, authentic work. And I think the way I got that project was through word of mouth. Mm. So people see your project, people see your work on social media, and then they go and recommend you. And then, you know, the client sees your work and they like it and they they want to work with you. So mm-hmm. creating good quality, authentic work, it's a non-negotiable. It's really a starting point if you want to begin the conversation with any client. So create something that differentiates you, create something that no one else is doing in the market. And honestly, it's not that difficult as it sounds. You just need to hone in on who you are, Mm -hmm. what speaks to you and create from that place. So I think that, you know, that that way, I think clients definitely look for someone who can create good, authentic, original work, something different. The other thing is, I feel like you cannot just be another food photographer. This is something I actually learned in architecture. I feel like as food photographers, our role is not just about setting up a camera and taking photos. So Mm. when I was in architecture, one of the skills that we really worked on was interpretation and conceptualization. I know it's a mouthful, (laughs) mouthful, but you know, when you're a part of an architecture firm and then you're competing with other big giant firms, what does it boil down to? It boils down to how well do you understand requirements and how how creatively can you offer solutions, right? Whenever we go in and we say we have a brief, we or sometimes we complain, we don't have a clear brief, the requirements are not very clear. That's an opportunity. That's exactly what we want. That's where we have the power to go in and prove that we bring something else to the table and clients really appreciate it. So sometimes clients can express their requirements. Sometimes they have a clear art direction, but sometimes they don't. So what we need to do is if we can interpret their requirements and really break it down to the detail where we start getting into their skin, into their minds, and then we come up and we present our own solutions to fulfill those requirements. Like that is definitely a differentiator where, you know, for this project, this big project that I had, all I was given was, here are three recipes that we are shooting, go look at our website and create, you know, it was a very broad outline. And I had to work around it. So I made sure that I was asking the right questions. I made sure that I was really getting into the mind of the client and, uh, you know, putting my own creative thought into it and adding value as a photographer, not just sitting there taking notes and saying, okay, fine, I'll just do this. You've already done that. I've actually gone, I presented ideas. They liked a few and that's what we went. So interpretation and conceptualization, I think this is something that we as food photographers can really bring to the table and clients appreciate it. The other thing I feel that uh, really helped me is demonstrating versatility. So I know that 
there are lots of schools of thoughts around how versatile you need to be as a food photographer and being versatile honestly does not mean that you have to know every single you know technical style of photography but what it means is that you know within your given skill set are you able to cover the entire spectrum are you able to create mm-hmm. photos for a range of moods a range of colors range of patterns range of foods range of lights you know so i have a client and they have like five brands under them each brand has a different language so when i and i'm their only photographer so when i shoot for them i'm just switching between the different different types of branding that i need to create through my photos that doesn't mean that i need to go into levitation or i need to do videos that's not my expertise but what is within my skill set i'm able to create a range within that so that to me is versatility and i think that is something that definitely brands look for you know when they when they see that okay it's from moody to mm-hmm. yellows to to savory to sweets and to yeah. harsh light to soft yeah. light to you know so i think i, I, I have think to say are- i think that's also my superpower because I, i think that's my superpower too and not just that but when i hire food stylists or assistants i really look at how versatile they are so if their mm-hmm. whole entire feed is just cupcakes and muffins like i just can't tr- i just don't know actually not even that i can't trust i just don't know that they'll be able to do all the things that i need them to do on the shoot on the day so i would never hire somebody with an instagram like that for example and right. you know so i look at it as somebody who hires and then so i i really look for versatility in my assistants and then obviously i also look at what clients ask of me and it's always as you describe so mm-hmm. varied there's so much you know always within my style always it sounds like within your style with your touch but still having that you know being kind of like a shapeshifter i think definitely helps i can attest to that for sure absolutely yeah now i was wondering again there's something else that you mentioned a little bit earlier that i'd love to dig a little bit deeper into because a lot of photographers once they have a client they feel okayish about you know making it happen and fulfilling their brief and but a lot of people stumble really at the very first hurdle which is getting a client or not stumble mm. but they they don't get quite as many clients as they would like and one of the things you mentioned at the start was that that you know that a supermarket brand that came mm-hmm. through word of mouth and so i would love to know a little bit more about word of mouth and where you put that in in terms of importance and how you nurture that referral channel so to say but also any other ways that you have attracted clients any other kind of marketing techniques that you have used so i would say that definitely word of mouth is very powerful and word of mouth can only work if you've done a good job um or that someone is really impressed by your work and they know that you fit that particular project so i think word of mouth is definitely it comes into play when you have worked with a certain client and they might want to recommend you or you have a really good network within your <laughs> you know within your city town or however and they are you know they have all these connections and they are happy to recommend you so word of mouth works in those ways but honestly kimberly for me i spent a large bulk of my first few months pitching and 
I can't even tell you the kind of clients that I've got just by creating effective pitches. And uh, for me, that is definitely one of the strongest mm. ways because you cannot sit around and wait that word Love of mouth it. will get you. You cannot. <laughs> well, you can just not sit around and wait full stop, right? Like, yeah. I think, yes. Yeah. Like we, you have to be proactive. You have to. You know, it's your your business is your baby, right? So you need Absolutely. to go out and and make it happen for your baby. So yeah. and yeah, and no matter where you are in your journey, you might be a seasoned photographer mm. with ten years of experience under your belt. You will still want to work with some people, and it's not necessary that they know you and mm. that their word of mouth will get around town. You need to go approach them. So I just feel that we cannot go around the whole idea of pitching. You have to put yourself out there. You have to tell people about yourself. And you also cannot just completely depend on social media. Yes, you create work and yes, people are viewing it, but that is not going to be 100% the way people or clients will come to you. They will first come to you or they will get to know about you or they will see your pitch and mm -hmm. then they might go check out your social media mm -hmm. and then they'll be like do I like it and then you know there's that back and forth but I just feel like pitching is so effective it's really good so I'm gonna break it down a couple of separate questions so my very first question is where do you get the confidence that guts to pitch because I know you know pitching is not easy Pitching is really not easy. Yeah, and and yeah. so many people feel self-conscious about it. And and so that would be my very first question. Like, how do you overcome that? Oh, that fear and all those, those, those kind of, you know, emotions. I know. I think that fear and those emotions actually come from the fear of rejection. I think it comes from the fear that what if I don't hear back, which happens a lot. It happens with what if they say no, like, you know, just putting yourself out there, sending that email into a, into the universe yeah. and just hoping that it's going to work out. I think that is the fear. Yeah. So, so I think the way to do this is, first of all, you have to jump off the cliff. You want it, you jump off the cliff, boss. The second thing is that you have to do the work. You have to put an effective pitch. You cannot mm -hmm. copy and paste a pitch to 10 different clients and write the same thing about how great a photographer you are and expect them to be like, yeah, we are so excited to work with you. That is not the way it works. So you have to put out an effective pitch. And honestly, once you put out that pitch, you will start seeing replies and that will build confidence. So it will start with you doing it right. I actually have a very, very life-changing story around this. Do you want me to share that? Yeah, go for it. So how I learned to pitch was also in architecture school. And it's one of the most powerful things that I've learned, not just for my profession, but also personally. So when I was in architecture school, I was in the US and we had professionals from all over the country who would come and spend some time in our college. We would have these social evenings where we could mingle with them. And based on that mingling and interaction, those professionals would then invite a selected set of students to go out for dinner with them. And, you know, that would also be like a potential interview and our careers depended on it. All right. But the problem was that when you were mingling, you only had 
like three minutes. You had three minutes to make an impression so solid that you would get invited either for that lunch, dinner, or coffee, and you would make it through that interview and get hired by one of the top firms in the country. You can imagine how nerve-wracking that was. And, you know, so basically imagine that in three minutes, you have to give out your elevator pitch. As a student, who knows that, right? So I sucked at it. I was so bad at it. And my professor, one of my mentor professors, he saw that. He saw that I had potential, I had capability, but I was really losing on to these opportunities because one, I had the fear of making conversation and two, I did not know what to say. So I would stand there for three minutes in silence and move on to the next person. So he called, a few of us had this problem and he called all of us and he said that, do you know that you have the power to make someone feel like they are having the best conversation of their lives when they are speaking to you? Do you know that you have that power and you're not using it? And we, we were just listening and he said, do you know how to do that? You do that by talking about them. When you talk to somebody about them, you make them feel important. You make them feel like you are interested. And automatically, when someone feels like you are interested in them, they are interested in you. The conversation is not about you. It is them. Focus on that. And that is exactly how I put out my pitches. That is exactly the practice I not only bring to my clients and my business, but also personally and with friends and relations, you know. So when you make the other person the center of the stage, you have a higher chance of grabbing their interest. And that is something that has been very effective in the way I've pitched to big brands and small mm. brands. And most of the times it ends up with a response. Yes or no is a different thing, but there is a response. So, And that is already in lots of ways, a win, right? Like if somebody acknowledges your email, whatever the outcome in such a vulnerable situation that is pitching, called pitching, then I think them responding already feels like they've seen me. And, you know, I didn't go into yeah. their spam. Yeah. There's like some sort of communication on which you can potentially build, maybe not now, but in the future. So that's amazing. That's a really valuable tip. I really appreciate that. Do you have any more pitching tips for people tuning in who are like, oh, I don't know where to start. Maybe three, <laughs> four, perhaps even five, you know, rapid fire pitching tips. Um, that would be amazing. Mm. So definitely a pitch has to start with a personal connection. I think a personal connection is very important. Like there are so many brands that I've pitched to and it's just unbelievable how there were so many brands and chefs who were actually architects previously. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So I immediately, I have that you know personal connection and I start mm -hmm. off with that. So find a common ground, find some commonality and build a personal connection. And that may or may not happen, but find it. I think the other thing that should be done is there has to be some kind of an expression of why you want to work with them. It is about them. That pitch is about mm -hmm. them. So it's not just for the pitch, honestly, but it's also to give you clarity. Do you fit in them? And does that brand fit with your style? You know, so why you want to work with them is another thing that you can include in a pitch. And I think dining experiences are like very, very effective. I got to work with one of the biggest hospitality names in the world. I, I used to photograph for the Singapore Hotel, and I got my foot in the door by writing a pitch which said, I've been to your restaurants, 
and my favorite pizza place in town is blah 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 restaurant the next day i got a phone call and they said looks like you you're already familiar with our brand mm-hmm. you love our pizzas we love your work would you like to come in for a chat so it's as simple as that it has to be genuine and honest but create that reason why you want to work with them and something that i personally feel is very very powerful that sets your pitch completely apart is by including something mm. that very few people know about something so so whenever we write a pitch we don't just write to a brand right we don't say hi cadbury's hi bonvita hi maggie we don't say that. we say hi kimberly hi john hi we addressing it to a person so we need to do a homework we need to scour the internet you like literally like just pull up stories news anything anything that gives you a little bit of insight something that you know no one might have known or might people might not be talking about and include that in your pitch so it immediately grabs attention so this thing um, that, you know yeah. where you know the, i talked about the chef who uh, who was an architect mm. he owns three Michelin star restaurants in Singapore yeah. and when i was pitching to him i was shaking what i did was i went and i scoured so many media articles and there was one like maybe 6 years ago mm-hmm. and in that media article there was a teeny tiny statement that's one line that said he shifted from architecture to you know to becoming a chef and i was like bingo so you just have to spend the hour and create something that is immediately it's not just a personal connection but whosoever's reading that pitch they're like they've done their homework boss this person is interesting let's talk to them so i think these would be my like top 3 pitching ideas they're amazing yeah. i think they're really helpful and really things that will allow you to stand out because it shows that you care it shows that you've done your research and it doesn't feel like a cut and paste which is what you're talking mm-hmm. about in yeah, the beginning yeah absolutely you know there's a lot of attention to detail there so those are incredible uh, tips thank you so so much i would love to know before we start wrapping the interview up what you feel if there's one thing that the last few years have taught you what do you feel clients value the most what is it that allows you to provide a really high level client experience mm, i think i'll have to say the number one thing has to be again personalization and this is backed by research <laughs> I'm not just saying it. I think mm. so. As an architect, I was also doing a ton of research, and the last research paper that I wrote was on client experience. Coincidentally, mm-hmm. oh, it was cool. all about patient. Yeah, it was all about patient experience, and so we did a research for a year, and we came up with all the variables that impact experience. So a patient is also a client, and the number one thing that emerged in that research was personalization. And I mm-hmm. think it's so powerful, irrespective of industry. To be honest, like whether it's healthcare or food photography, the moment you start tailoring and customizing every little thing based on your client's particular requirements it's a total total winner like right from pitching you know mm. it's not a copy paste like we said and even your personal interactions i think when you're in a meeting you walk in doing your homework like we talked about you know the owner the 
director, the CEO, whosoever you're meeting, you walk in knowing their story, you personalize your conversation with them. They love it because you are talking to them about them. You're giving them the best mm-hmm. conversation of their lives. You're personalizing every single thing. And whether it is their brand concept, whether it is, you know, the after service that you provide, did this campaign go smoothly? Like everything where you are invested personally, it is all about them. I think that is on top of my list of how to create an exceptional client experience. I love it. That's a beautiful tip. Thank you so much for sharing so much value. Now, you mentioned in the beginning that you have a podcast too. Firstly, I'd love to know why you decided to start your podcast. And then can you share a little bit more about what to expect, what it's about? Please share a little bit more about it. So I know you are a visionary, Kimberly. I know that you're a planner and you do everything like that. I'm really like a jump off the cliff kind of a person. (laughs) So my podcast was literally one day sitting at the window on an early morning watching the sunrise. My husband walked into the room and there was a thought in my mind. I just turned around. I told him, I want to start a food photography podcast. And he said, why? I said, because I feel it. I feel Mm -hmm. it. I'm feeling it. And he said, "Uh, how are you going to do it? Do you know how to do it? I said, no. He said, when are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. He said, "Uh, do you have any knowledge about it? I said, no. So he said, great. Sounds like a plan. Go for it. So uh, it was a gut feeling. Like there are things, there are modes of education that you connect to, right? And for me, podcast is a very effective way of learning. And I deeply connect with it. For some people, it's videos. For some people, it's PDFs. For me, it's podcasting. And there was just this feeling. And I know that I had listened to your podcast for many years, but I'd also listened to a lot of architecture podcasts and business podcasts. And you know, some of them were my favorites. So there was a way that I was learning. Mm. And I felt like I just wanted to bring all of that together and create this medium of learning for the community. So it was a very spontaneous decision, but it was, again, with a ton of conviction. And it was so bizarre that my husband said, okay, go for it. He turned around, he walked out of the room. I was sitting on my desk. I opened my email and out of one of the newsletters that I was subscribed to, an email popped up saying how to start a podcast. (laughs) It is so like, it's so crazy. It was like a sign. Mm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, here I am. We are on our episode 30 now. Three zero. Three zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's going so far. So good. I mm-hmm. feel I feel very committed and I it, it is really something very close to my heart. Mm. So I'd love I'd love to share what it's about. Yeah. Go for it. Yes. Also, do you do is it weekly episodes that you do? Yes. So we mm-hmm. do weekly episodes. Gotcha. We don't break between seasons unless there's a personal obligation. So I I kind of I try I try to keep it. Yeah, that's a sure. big that's a big commitment. It's amazing. It is. <laughs> it's, it's a full-time job. It's a yeah, full-time it job. really is. <laughs> right. So yes, please do share what it's about. Absolutely. So my podcast is called My Food Lens and it's a podcast for all food content creators. So it is for food stylists, food photographers and they can be like both hobbies or businesses. It's also for food bloggers and 
just basically anyone who creates food-related content for various kinds of media. So in the podcast, like I, you know, we talk about everything. It's like from food photography techniques to composition techniques. We talk about storytelling and how to start, how to grow a food photography business. And I think the most important piece of the puzzle, which is a positive mindset, you know, just to mm-hmm. stay creative as an artist and just to stay, you know, inspired as a business owner, as a creator. So I would say if you take photos of food for any reason, then the podcast is for you. Amazing. And we are available like on all major podcast platforms as well. Fantastic. So. Jyotima, as you listen to the podcast, you know how I end it, which is by asking my guests about their most favorite thing to eat, <laughs> their most favorite thing to capture, and their most favorite thing to share. So I'd love to know the answers to those questions from you too. Oh, wow. Okay. I know you're a vegan. You might not like my answer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all right. My favorite thing to eat is really biryani. I'm sorry, Kimberly. <laughs> is it? I don't even know what it's made with because oh. I've had I've had vegetarian biryani. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Which yes, is like a is rice, right? Biryani. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but what is the traditional way to make it? So, biryani is basically meat mm-hmm. and rice cooked together with a ton of spices. And gotcha. every region of India has their own version of biryani. My favorite version is my mom's version. Of so. course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. It's not vegan, but it's pretty darn delicious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what I like to capture, okay. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing to capture, this is so difficult because as a photographer, it's like choosing your favorite child, but (laughs) you know, I think I I like to uh, photograph fresh produce. And uh, for me, there's a very close tie between um, mushrooms and cherry tomatoes. So just their Mm -hmm. form, their color, their shape, the way they catch light. And even if you just put them in a bowl, they are so attractive and so photogenic. So, and also tomatoes always do well on Instagram. I don't know. Instagram (laughs) loves tomatoes. (laughs) I think it's the red. I I just love cherry tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. What's your most, what would you like to share with our listeners? Anything that you'd like to share? So I thought about this. I, Mm. I, I most definitely don't share my food. So I was thinking, what else do I like sharing? And I think I love sharing stories. So my, like my entire journey in photography, my entire presence on social media, everything stems from the idea of storytelling. Like if you look at my photos, you know, the funny reels that I make or the captions, you know, even if you meet me in person, you're bound to hear stories. So I think that is probably my favorite thing to share. Amazing. Diotima, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing so much value. And it's been a joy to have you. It was such a pleasure, such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for having me. So how was that for you? Did it leave you with some like actionable tips, like how to craft a pitch or how to conduct yourself in your next meeting or how to jump off a cliff? (laughs) I don't know. You know, if you've been on the fence about starting a business or you're stuck with your business, I mean, I really hope that this episode gave you some fuel to start or to restart, you know. Hope it left you with at least a little bit of inspiration to keep going, to do something new, to push those boundaries and to really feel joy in whatever you create. But like always, if you have any questions on any of the topics that we talked about, because we talked about a lot of things, 
So if you have any questions on any of the topics, you know, like writing a pitch or client experience or anything, boss, just send me an email on hello at myfoodlens.com and I'll be happy to share more or help you with it. Or you can also just directly DM me on Instagram, which it's butima underscore myfoodlens. All right, with that, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.